Well, hi there, listeners, and welcome back to Views from the Crow's Nest, a podcast about current or emerging trends in finance, technology, data science, and various other domains of the business sector. This podcast is produced in-house for Fisher Jordan, a New York-based strategy consulting, thought leadership, and outsourcing firm helping business leaders exchange complexity for clarity. Fisher Jordan provides decision makers in financial services and healthcare with clear strategies backed by analytics and enabled by tailored technology solutions. In this episode, we are once again back to a Q&A style discussion on one specific topic with a subject matter expert. Today, we welcome Jivraj Karwa, one of Fisher Jordan's own senior associates, back to the podcast to talk about some unique pressures on the commercial and industrial lending landscape, abbreviated as CNI in the United States particularly. Jivraj brings his expertise and experience as an analyst to the discussion as we talk about the overall picture of the CNI market before and after the COVID-driven recession, some of the ramifications of recent legislation, including the Inflation Reduction Bill and the CHIPS Act, and what we might expect to see in CNI in response to the current inflation-driven recession and signs of a long-awaited housing market slowdown. Fisher Jordan's managing principal, Boaz Salik, once again joins as collaborator and co-host in this episode. Before we get into the conversation, a reminder that you can check out the show notes of this episode to find additional resources or relevant publications that might be referenced or of particular interest for people wanting to go deeper on this topic. With that, let's get to the topic and the discussion. Welcome back to Views from the Crow's Nest. Before we get started, Jivraj and Boaz, welcome. Great to have you guys on. Great to be on. Thanks for the welcome, Nathan. So let me start with my first question here. Jivraj, we'll, we'll direct this at you, and, and Boaz, feel free to chime in with any color commentary here. First, give me a picture of how the CNI lending landscape has changed from before to after kind of the, the primary COVID period. As we all know, with pandemic coming in, federal government launched like multiple programs under the act called CARES Act. And some of these programs included two PPP loans or EIDL loans or mainstream lending loans. So most of these programs were directed towards like small business, small businesses. And essentially what these programs did over past two years is they cannibalized the lending from banks so now as an impact of that cannibalization what we are seeing is since this programs already completed we are seeing kind of uptick in the commercial lending from the banks so we banks saw quite strong cni loans growth in first and second quarter of this year but with high inflation and increase in interest rates from fed the borrowing is expected to decline, but so far we haven't observed this. It's kind of hard to say right now as to where this trend will land. But with, if I were to compare like previous recessions or previous inflation driven recession, rise of interest rate, the borrowing would decrease at some point, but it's little unpredictable at this point because this recession is one of its kind. One. We had one recession in 2020 that was pandemic driven. And then there's one right now going on, which is inflation driven. Economists never seen this kind of recession before. I know um, when the big government loan programs like the PPP and EIDL were 
at their height, you could observe a real tangible spike in the reported CNI figures when you looked at the Federal Reserve, for example, and their reporting. Has that spike now subsided or has it has it partially subsided, completely subsided, or not subsided at all from your perspective? So to say with the PPP loan, let's say, let's take example for PPP loans. So almost like $800 billion worth PPP loans were given. And these loans were given via banks. So when uh, the loans were given, we were kind of seeing that increase in Federal Reserve balance sheet. So essentially, like the, the PPP loans were sitting on the bank's balance sheet. But as 2021 started, the forgiveness of PPP loans started. And with that, those loans got off the balance sheet. But then the CNI, the traditional CNI lending started. So I wouldn't say like we have seen sharp decline in CNI after 2020, but there is a slight slowdown. But again, start of this year with all PPP, EIDL, mainstream lending, main street lending, everything gone away. The traditional commercial lending from banks and fintechs and credit union that jumped and now we are seeing like very high growth in cni lending right now yeah so it sounds like one of the almost like an additional contributing factor here we, we already outlined kind of the three macro factors at the beginning of the, of the episode but you have the end of the aid that came in because of COVID, we have that kind of like tapering off. So now you're starting to see that to the extent that things are returning to normal, or at least the, like the, the way that yeah, things so, normally used to be, right? Yeah. So essentially, let's say it went to like one top with all PPP loans went in. Then as the forgiveness started, this trend started coming down and now once ppp loans were forgiven the bank's balance sheet were open now and banks were had more money to lend so the traditional lending started to pick up again and so uh, there was one two maybe like last year 2021 we saw decline in cni because that was decline in ppp ppp moving off from balance sheets of the bank but now with that money being released banks have more money to lend and the cni is again taking off if that makes sense it does and actually i'm glad that you brought up or are starting to bring up traditional banks we've, we've also talked about fintech and, and and the kind of the influences some of these same pressures on the fintech domain like in previous episodes what can either of you tell me about how the share of cni lending has changed between traditional banks and fintechs in in the the last couple of years that, that we've been talking about here? So traditionally, one of the USPs that fintechs have is they provide like very quickly. The lending from them is very, very quick compared to banks because banks have to go through all the regulatory hassle as to they have to scrutinize your application in grave details. But fintechs don't have that kind of scrutiny. What the fintechs do is they manage that risk by increasing the interest rates here. Now, if we look at the trend from 2015 to 2020, almost the share of origination of commercial and industrial lending from FinTech rose from almost 16% to 20%. And that for bank started to going down and it went down from 26% to 
so essentially it's kind of leveling up right now so from both traditional banks as in what we are calling like jp morgan chase or wells fargo bank of america of the world and fintech here we're calling like credibly cabbage on deck square paypal of the world the share of origination in cni lending from both is actually coming to a level in future right in future it may be possible that this trend will go up to for fintech one of the interesting potential ramifications of of this increasing interest rate environment is that it may actually paradoxically drive more borrowers towards the fintechs right because the fintechs as far as i'm aware aren't really raising their interest rates in the in their environment they're they're kind of charging a little bit of a premium interest rate or in some cases a lot of a premium interest rate in exchange for the the convenience and capital access you know in a lot of cases they'll they'll lend money to borrowers that banks simply won't do business with in, in any major way and so for that a lot of times the businesses will pay some kind of premium compared to what a, a bank would charge in terms of interest now that we've got an inc- increasing federal funds rate you know increasing yield on the treasury yield etc banks obviously are going to be charging more for the loans and fintechs are probably going to stay at or near where where they're at, as far as we can tell. And so uh, paradoxically, it kind of evens the playing field a little bit from a customer perspective and maybe maybe creates a little bit more of an incentive for people to explore the fintech route when they're looking for business funding. So overall, CNI lending has has remained fairly strong through the first two quarters of, of this year. I'm curious what you guys think are first some triggers that that might signify a slowdown on the momentum and then maybe just like a timeline when do you think that momentum might slow down if at all what can you say about that so uh if you look at like a quarterly earnings transcripts of very recent quarter like q2 which were released let's say in july mid so all the banks they're saying that we have seen very strong lending in this year so far and for example if i have to quote jp morgan chase's statement on that that credit has been so strong that we haven't seen that strong credit ever in our lifetime the consumers are still spending the consumers have been resilient for the recession so far they're saying that we kind of expect that q3 of this year to also remain strong but essentially we don't know what's going to happen after that every single bank every single big bank you see every single big bank prediction from big larger banks like jp morgan chase wells fargo city bank bank of america if you look they're predicting till quarter three of this year but not beyond that so essentially what this brings us here is right now the interest rate is on the spree to rise and as we know historically as the interest rates go up the borrowing becomes expensive and that essentially brings the lending kind of towards a downward so so far that has not happened the re- few reasons being like due to ppp loans or eidl loans or the income support that government gave in last two years consumers have money to spend so businesses are still producing businesses are still manufacturing goods and selling them but once this once this trend goes downwards there will be a slowdown so essentially it's very hard to 
kind of say that when that will happen. But if I compare the current trajectory to, let's say, one of the past recessions, 2008 or 2001, we should be able to see downward trends of CNI towards like end of or let's say middle to second half of 2023. Yeah, of course, there's there's an intimate connection with the interest rates, as you pointed out. So hopefully those don't continue to escalate, continuing to drive expenses of, of lending. But definitely would be interesting to keep an eye on that and, and see if it follows a similar trajectory to what we've seen in the past. On this topic of slowdowns, I feel like we got to bring up the the housing market here, which for a long time, pretty much nationwide, it seems like has just been completely exploding. But we're we're starting to see tremors, I think that's starting to to maybe potentially slow down. Do you guys think that that might have a domino effect on CNI? Again, another another thing coming in that's that's influencing this this topic here, uh, another pressure from elsewhere in the market. What do you guys think about the impact of the housing market on on the CNI situation? Right. So if you look at the trends in mortgage lending and CNI lending, historically both have moved very, very parallel, like sometimes a lag of a quarter or year, quarter to year, sometimes in the same quarter itself, but they have moved very, very parallel. And essentially the increase in the interest rate have very immediate impact on mortgage essentially and what we are seeing is mortgage the housing market is actually slowing down so just to give some numbers and in the quarter two earnings result for largest bank in the country they reported like decline in revenue of the mortgage based products so for example jp morgan chase and wells fargo directly reported there's a decline in mortgage based product revenue bank of america reported there's a drying up of they are seeing the pipeline being dry up for the mortgage-based product. And some non-bank lenders who essentially deal in mortgage-based lending, they have started to lay off the employees. They have started to cut their costs. So essentially, we are seeing a kind of slowdown in mortgage market or housing market with rise in interest rate. Now, the question comes as to why we are not seeing the impact in the CNI. There is no clear answer to that that I have, but we will or we should be able to see that impact because historically, if you look 2008, very big housing market crisis only. So 2008, if you look 2001, even before that, essentially, as mortgage market has slowed down sequentially or in within the next one, two, three quarters, the CNI market also started to slow down. Now, the mortgage market slowdown just started recently, like in Q2 of 2022. So we should be able to see the impact on CNI in next two or three quarters. Yeah, but with that said, Jivraj, you know, when you look at the current CNI numbers, there's absolutely no signs of, of a slowdown. In fact, if anything, we're kind of starting to test those highs that we were experienced during COVID, except instead of being these kind of one-off government loans, it, these are presumably for the most part, traditional bank loans to, to small businesses, so even including large sized businesses for the most part. Is that correct? That is correct. If you look at the consumer spending right now, look at that in like two ways. One is the credit card balances that people have right now. So if the consumer spending is essentially like once people 
start accumulating the balance on credit card the spending should go down because like it's their ability to pay so if you look at average credit card debt that an american have right now it's still not about 2019 level it's still below 2019 level also if you look at average household deposit per capita it's all time high right now so people are actually spending money on buying goods or like small time expenses or let's say small to mid type expenses where they have to let's say purchase like a mobile phone they have to purchase like laptop electronics clothes travel small travels or tourism kind of thing these things are not slowing down but if you look at like the expenses on the side of mortgage or on house or car these are large expenses so essentially right now consumers have some amount to spend and they are spending but the heat of interest rates essentially starts with like very immediate kind of products so mortgage or auto loans retail loans kind of thing and they have started to show the sign of slowdown now once consumers dry up with their savings dry up with their deposits this will start impacting the businesses as well who actually manufacture goods so that will be the start of slowdown of cni loan in my understanding it paints a pretty uh nuanced picture i think of everything that's going on and and yeah it'll be interesting to see if that happens how do you guys think the lending environment has been impacted by the recent rise in interest rates and some expected additional hikes in interest rates by the fed so far the interest rate has as we discussed already the interest rate it actually should impact borrowing but so far we haven't seen so much of this impact coming in over in let's say last two quarters or so and according to again as we discussed according to large banks jp morgan chase and city banks of the world even quarter 3 of this year is expected to stay same but the projections after that are very unclear um with rise of interest rate we are seeing immediate impact on mortgage and auto industries and as mortgage and cni go hand in hand the impact is expected to come so it's again we don't know when or what will that impact be but traditionally as the interest rates rise the borrowing tends to go down another reason for the current kind of strong cni is high consumer spending the consumers still have money in hand that they received during pandemic because see the one part that differentiates pandemic than other recessions is people actually had money to spend and government literally distributed them like checks of $1200 $2400 depending on how big is your family and they had this money to spend so it's kind of not coming in right now because people still have money in their account to spend but once this starts drying up with the price increase in all the prices essentially with the rise of inflation the cni lending should also start to see the impact of this rise in interest rate and and with cni it's always a question of should versus is so so we also know jevers that for example if you look at a 
a very high level metric like the ratio of total CNL loans outstanding to total GDP, right? And we know that that quantity tends to be cyclical and, and we know that it's, you know, it, it's kind of been uh, at a cyclical high for a while and we're expecting that ratio to come down. But the question, the question is always when and the question is what's going to be the impetus. So uh, when we look at things like interest rates, for example, we have the Federal Reserve seemingly taking a relatively aggressive posture. Uh, saying things like, you know, like we're going to aggressively make sure that that inflation is under control. We can expect continued rate hikes, et cetera, which would lead you in a direction of of believing that, yes, there could be a, some kind of negative pressure on CNI at some point. But the question is always when and how. And a lot of times it just behaves counterintuitively. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of how, how that plays out. Logically, I agree with you, but it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out and when it plays out. Yeah, so this particular recession is very interesting in the sense that there was one recession earlier which was pandemic driven and it had whole different characteristics and then there is one recession right now which is inflation driven and it has also whole different characteristics and when you combine these two this becomes a like completely different thing which we don't know anything about and everyone is trying to make their prediction everyone is trying to say that okay this is going to happen at this point but so far if you look at the predictions and so far if you look at like what people said in 2020 what would happen in 2021 that not necessarily came true so it's it's kind of black box right now as to what will happen and we'll just have to ride it along and see how it goes and where it takes us yeah, and it's, it's always a question of, I don't want to use the musical chairs analogy, but uh, almost like like what's going to break first, right? So there's increasing stress on the system due to high, rising interest rates and, and high inflation. At some point, there'll be an economic slowdown. And then the question is like, which elements are going to break first and in what way and what will, what will be the chain reaction from that? So for example, if you look at retail, right? Like retail is a sector that's really been under a lot of pressure really for the last few years, but but, you know, certainly for for the bulk of this year and, and doesn't seem to be letting up. There seem to be a lot of factors affecting that sector, whether it's the continuing shift to online, whether it's the, the COVID-related restrictions for people going shopping in malls and traditional stores, and whether it's now kind of this, this pressure because of the inflation and inventories and stuff like that. So they, there seem to be a lot of pressures on that industry. And then the other industry where you see a lot of continuing pressures from a lot of different directions, the travel industry and specifically airlines. So it'll kind of be interesting to see as as the the news tightens a little bit and you know, like which parts of the infrastructure are gonna be the most vulnerable. And then that's that's kind of probably determine the failure point. If there is a failure point, which obviously we well hope it won't be, but if there is one that's gonna be, you know, exactly where that happens is really gonna determine the trajectory of this thing, I think. Let's do let's do a sort of a shift here, and we've talked about some of these market-related pressures. Let's talk about some more governmental pressures on this space. So we've got two pretty major pieces of legislation that have passed recently. It's the climate bill and the semiconductor bill. What do you guys think is the likely impact of some of that legislation on the CNI lending landscape? Right. So. 
let's look at like both the programs separately so both the program actually collectively have been allocated almost like 700 to 800 billion dollars worth of funding now if i were to look at like the program separately let's look at first climate bill climate bill is also called like inflation reduction bill it essentially has two parts one is related to green energy or clean environment act and other is related to like affordable healthcare to Americans. So affordable healthcare is essentially extension of that that was passed by Obama government. So climate bill, the first part of that green energy or clean environment act, it's essentially directed towards reducing the dependence of economy on traditional sources of energies like fossil fuels and coal. If you look at this program document, they haven't crafted in details like what will be the lending programs or grant programs in those in full. But they have given some details as to, okay, what is the allocation for each type of programs. So if you look in the program, let's say divide in two parts, one for households, one for businesses. So there's certain allocations for households where like, let's say I own a house and I want to set up like a solar panel on my house. If I want to get like a clean store, clean energy store, something like that. So there is an allocation and there's a tax credit that I can rebate on. So that's one part. Another part being the grants and loans to businesses where like the essentially the battery makers or ev car manufacturers will get like a large grants so there will be a collective impact on economy from consumer side we should be able to see like the clean home equipment manufacturer the rise of those kind of manufacturer and lending in that sector on other side when government is lending directly to like battery manufacturer or electric vehicle manufacturer these would be substantially large loans so average loan side would be large but then again there are tax credits for individuals as well as businesses in that sense there will be substantial lending with this program again there's 370 billion dollars allocated to this program and most of it is going to like the businesses or individuals some of it is obviously going to the government agencies they want to set up certain research centers somewhere kind of thing but most of it is going to like businesses and individuals in the form of grants loans or tax credit rebates other one is called industrial policy bill so it's directed towards reducing the dependence of american economy on external chip manufacturers like china or taiwan so majority of the funding in this program is in terms of grant and these are substantially large grants for very very large businesses so essentially like they're almost one part of this program of this 280 billion dollars program 39 billion dollars is only grants to the chip manufacturers in the us it's like grants up to almost three billion dollars so essentially some part of this program again won't have a lot of impact on cni lending but again there are almost 200 billion dollars of this program allocated to scientific research in the fields of artificial intelligence robotics quantum mechanics quantum computing and like other technologies which would potentially have an impact on small business while said that this 200 billion dollars they haven't said yet as to how are they going to fund this so like is this a loan is this a grant is this something like ppp 
for like businesses involved in this sector or is it like equity to the startups so essentially funding in the form of equity to the startups but with these two programs said there will be a rise of chip manufacturers the businesses related to semiconductor manufacturing as well as businesses related to like clean or green green energy equipments and that would substantially lead to like a rise in lending cycle yeah i i generally agree i think you know as as you have kind of the these new government programs and and most of these programs have some provisions for whether it's helping small businesses or helping you know women and minority owned businesses get their fair share of it but uh it creates a little bit of a kind of larger base of of small businesses that are going to benefit from these things and these these businesses as they're growing are going to require funding so i agree with you i can i can see that having a pretty positive effect in terms of the overall um lending environment both in terms of the need as well as the availability of funds interesting that we brought up the semiconductor bill the the green energy technology focus that is especially that you're seeing here in in the US but i know that there are other global leaders that are becoming a part of this conversation i want to talk about what new technologies you guys think might be impacting commercial lending the most either currently or developing technologies take a shot at that what do you what do you think might be some key influences there this is like like very interesting question because as as we move forward with like timeline if you look at how the things have evolved in anything like be it banking be it retail be it manufacturing technology generally has played like very important role in doing things quickly and taking things forward for example let's say if you look at pre 2000 era when the banking was pretty much like offline kind of thing you'll have to still go to not strictly offline but let's say what are you doing your underwriting is being done at manual level then with rise of computers and with rise of software the different software came in play as to like okay here's a spreadsheet and now you can analyze the balance sheet very nicely and very cleanly then the era came of like computer vision so now you can scan the paper you can you don't need to like manually type in things you can essentially plug all the numbers directly from the scanned paper and look at those numbers and understand and now we are at the place where like you don't even need to request those things to the borrower like you can pull directly from the regulators if the company is listed and then like analyze before making the decision of the borrowing it's quite interesting space in general the technology and financial services all big banks in the space are using massively good technologies to perform these operations for example let's say jp morgan chase so whenever the loan is given to a borrower the bank conducts different searches to determine that how good is the borrower like how what is the credibility of borrower so one search is let's say ucc search there's a bankruptcy search there's a tax lien judgment search to understand like credit worthiness of borrower and then there's of course credit score so 3 4 years back jp morgan chase went on developing like couple of bots which went on to like secretaries of states and then the courts to essentially whenever there is underwriting about a borrower going on the bots will go to these different sites and 
collect this data, search this, and essentially put it in the right place before the underwriting is being done. Other thing being like the most recent technologies that are being developed are like understanding the document that being submitted. So like one, it's of course the scraping data out of it. And then of course the making sense of it. So we are at the stage where like humans have evaluated or read like if not billions like thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of document and we're kind of working in a place where now we really don't want to do that manually we want like we'll give an order to computer that okay i want to understand this balance sheet give me the specifics of it and this is being done very quickly the same analogy here is in like the legal tech space as well. One is financial technology, one is legal technology, and third is healthcare technology. These three spaces are moving so fast in terms of technology. There's so much funding flowing into these markets. Is It's massive. And as we go forward, at one point, we should be, see, we should be able to see the automation in like full pace in like ultimate pace that by the time you're leaving your home and you said that okay i want a loan or i want to make a deposit in a bank by the time you get to the bank bank will be ready or whatever fintech will be ready with the amount okay this is the amount i can give you that's what i envision one of the interesting things with with the new technologies is you know you obviously have your technologies that are I'd say like it's kind of like the grass growing where these technologies are developing on their own and and in some cases they impact the lending industry and in other cases they don't but it's almost like the the lending industry kind of be, becomes a, a side beneficiary of technologies that would have developed anyways in other cases you have new technologies that are that are coming around and they're centered uh, you know front and center on the lending industry so you know things like automation of of different steps of the whether it's the application the loan application process whether it's the gathering of relevant data whether it's steps in the in the approval process you know these things are all having tremendous impact and we see new startups all the time that are uh, kind of leveraging whether it's the latest OCR techniques or you know AI and machine learning techniques or you know just good old-fashioned process mapping. But these things, even even though each one of them is relatively small, in aggregate can really have a, a very tangible impact on the the operation and you know efficiency and profitability of the industry going forward. So, how do you guys think the regulatory environment has changed over the last couple of years? Is it generally more or less conducive to commercial lending than it's been in the past? So, let's see. When 2020 started, let's say it was like a normal year, and then COVID came, and then all the CARES Act came, and then PPP lending came, EIDL came. Along with that, the Federal Reserve or government instructed the banks to like put a forbearance on most of the loans, like auto loans, be it auto loans, be it mortgage loans. They distributed PPP loans literally for like free. Almost like 97 to 98% of PPP loans have been forgiven. So that's like a free money for the borrowers. And now towards second of, of 2021, most of this forbearance have, forbearances have been lifted. So essentially, what's happening is 
in 2020 and 2021 despite of being a recession defaults or charge offs in most of the lending environment remained historically low in some cases even let's say the borrower was in a state of delinquency pre-covid the borrower went into forbearance and got like a became like a current loan during that period so that reduced like a lot of default rates for banks and now with with that forbearance gone we are again seeing like the default rates rising but we are still nowhere near 2019 level and the student forbearance and forgiveness it's still in place here on other front federal is continuously reforms the regulations for the banks so uh there hasn't been much of changes in like CET ratios that bank have to mention, but it suggests that banks should keep their CET ratio beyond 4.5%. In that way, they have more money to lend. 4.5% generally is considered risky, and banks have their own evaluated CET ratios, which are much higher than even 4.5%. And also, in current environment, as we all know, that Federal Reserve is in the place in the spree of increasing the interest rates and that impact is yet to be seen we already had a lot of discussion on that i don't think we need to discuss it again but in general if i have to understand these regulations have made things easy for banks or not well with ppp even with the fees of that loan programs banks have made tons of money and once ppp got off their balance sheet they were able to lend like a lot of money and also the CT ratios are still quite at high so they still have a lot of money to lend so it's kind of made things i don't want to say made like things easy for banks in that sense but in general it's like a neutral impact it hasn't been like much of negative or much of positive kind of thing there does seem to be kind of at least from from a from an alt lending perspective, there, there do seem to be a lot of regulations coming through that are restrictive, at least at the state level. I think we, we even talked about these in some of our previous podcasts, but I, I think that it's pro probably a mixed bag. You know, you have some regulation that comes in and it makes things more efficient, more streamlined. But, you know, in a lot of cases, you, you kind of have the, the complexity and the, the scrutiny level increasing, you know, with some of these new state level initiatives. Well, let's wrap up with this question here. We've talked a lot about not just on this podcast episode, but also on, on previous episodes. And if you are listening to this podcast for the first time, I encourage you to go and check out some of the, the catalog of discussion that we have leading up to this. But we've definitely talked about the PPP loan program that came about in 2020. We've talked about that a, a fair amount on here and in, in different aspects of of the program itself, but also just the impacts of it. I'm curious, do you guys think that it makes sense for the government to chart out something similar to that uh, once again, since we are here in a recession? We talked about how the last one was COVID-driven and now it's inflation-driven. What do you think about that idea and whether that would make sense or not? See, one of the very typical characteristics of COVID was you cannot get out of house. So essentially, businesses were forced to shut their operations, like it's especially small businesses, small retailers. Essentially, the heat was being faced by the employees of these businesses. So intention behind carving out this PPP program was majorly 
keeping the paychecks of these employees intact keeping these employees alive essentially right but right now that's not the case we all already are in kind of inflation driven recession and the businesses are open right so there is some money that businesses are making sure it's not probably like 2019 level but they are making some money right they are able to pay the paychecks to their employees so like given all those things uh in my mind it's not really like a great idea to start another ppp program in like current environment given like all those things as to like businesses are open the banks are also able to lend a lot of money and another thing being it's inflation driven recession so distributing free money would fuel that even more potentially yeah it's an interesting conundrum i mean obviously there are always kind of pressures to to try to keep things going and and not you know not have people sitting around doing nothing basically which is always the danger in a recession right like you have a situation where big parts of the economy are affected you know some of them are, are kind of collateral damage due to something that was done wrong in a completely different part of, of the economy and then you just end up having workers going home and then it's a question of like how do you get the productivity back up so i could see that being considered for the future uh you know I, Jivraj, i'm kind of uh, maybe have one foot in the same boat as you in that I do think PPP was a contributing factor to inflation. I don't know if it was the only factor, right? Because you had a lot of things happening at the same time, and it's hard to disaggregate one versus the other. But let me let me throw it back to you. What what's kind of the the state of the thinking, so to speak, in terms of you know how much of an impact did or didn't PPP and EIDL have on on the kind of current inflation problem that we're experiencing? So I agree with you. Like maybe like PPP wasn't the only thing that cause the current inflation state so there are multiple things so there's one this ppp and loans like ppp and eidl which are like kind of free money to the borrower then there was like income support to the individuals where government distributed like checks to individuals directly then there's the third thing that came in this year the war between russia and ukraine and that fueling the oil prices worldwide so like all those things collectively essentially have caused this inflation driven recession kind of thing so like ppp isn't the only thing that impacted but my point being like as we know there's one factor even if it's a slight or small in the inflation that is ppp why while we are fighting inflation why risk rising again well, guys, this has been a really interesting conversation. Kind of an extemporaneous question here just to close out. Any recommended resources that you guys can think of if people want to learn more about some of this? We have some some articles, as always, that we will link in the show notes, the description. But anything that you guys are, are listening to or are interested in that you might point other people to if they wanted to learn a little bit more about the things that we've talked about here today? So one thing I would say is like, if you're interested in understanding about lending environment in general, the best source is to follow the FRED data. Most of the data points are like updated weekly and there are notes attached below it. And if you read those notes, if you go to the source links, it's kind of tremendous knowledge there itself. 
Yeah, I think that plus everything that we'll have linked in the show notes will provide a really comprehensive picture of some of the background of what we've talked about here today. But thank you to you both for jumping on here and doing more of a topic deep dive on something that kind of a circle back in some ways on some things that we've talked about here before, which I know I've, I've mentioned. It's, it's nice to kind of check back in on these topics as as they develop and, and see what kind of new angles have, have emerged that, w- that we can explore in more depth here. But as always, thank you for, for being a part of the, the discussion here. Thanks for inviting Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks again for listening here on Views from the Crow's Nest. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you shared it with a friend or colleague. Writing a review or leaving a rating on whichever podcast app you use also helps this podcast become more discoverable to new listeners. As a reminder, you can always find and subscribe to Views from the Crow's Nest on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. And of course, you can always access it directly via podcast.fisherjordan.com. Finally, if you have any comments or questions on today's episode, or even if you have a suggested topic for our next View from the Crow's Nest, feel free to send us an email, engage at fisherjordan.com, and we will see you from the Crow's Nest. Crow's Nest.